Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Cities around the country have struggled with an uptick in gun violence since the pandemic, and Black and Latino communities were hit hardest. By the end of last year, though, that violence was finally beginning to slow in major cities like Detroit and St. Louis. But not in Oakland where 100 homicides were reported in 2023. What exactly fuels this violence is a complex question, but Oakland is offering one possible reason. The breakdown of its marquee violence prevention program, known as Operation Ceasefire. Operation Ceasefire was one of the prime groups that was credited with driving gun violence down by nearly half, about 46%. Last month, a new audit requested by Mayor Shang Tao concluded the city of Oakland had made a mistake in letting Operation Ceasefire fizzle out. Today, the success and failure of Oakland's Operation Ceasefire. The year that Operation Ceasefire started in Oakland, 126 people were killed, which is a multi-decade high for the city. Abene Clayton is a reporter with The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America project. In 2012, Oakland launched Operation Ceasefire, and the goal was to use the intelligence that the police get from patrolling and arresting and kind of combine that with the opportunities and kind of community care that come from faith leaders, local activists, violence prevention professionals to target the very small amount of the population in Oakland, maybe less than 1% of people who were responsible for the majority of the gun violence at the time. So uh, it sounds like a, a particularly violent year in Oakland when Operation Ceasefire kind of took off. And you mentioned a, a few different groups there, faith leaders, community leaders, and the police. Can you talk about who ran Operation Ceasefire and how did this work exactly? What did it mean to target these individuals in the community who were responsible for gun violence? So it was a multi-pronged approach. Operation Ceasefire Detail Police would review shootings every week. 
They would discuss patterns if they noticed that a particular individual was killed that could heighten the risk of retaliation. If there was a kind of concentration of shootings over the past week, they knew which groups, which individuals were most responsible for those most recent shootings. At the same time, you had faith leaders and you had community workers who were organizing these things called ceasefire night walks, right? Where they would walk through some of the most poppin', if you will, areas, usually in East or West Oakland, with signs calling for peace, being these kind of visible ambassadors of violence prevention in their communities. These two groups would kind of merge during these meetings called call-ins, which I think is one of the kind of most well-known parts of the ceasefire strategy. Police would make contact with somebody, invite them to a place, usually a community center or a church, where, as I mentioned again, faith leaders and other violence prevention folks, people who may have been formerly incarcerated and are now out of prison, would all meet with the person, ask them to stop the shooting, let them know, like, we see you, we know what's going on, and this isn't the lifestyle that you want. And if the person was open, you know, there were opportunities to link them with resources then and kind of get the ball rolling on whatever services they needed. You know, housing, job training, getting your GED. There was always food, which I feel like is a really underestimated part of violence prevention. But every single violence interrupter I know says if you're going to have a meeting where you're bringing in folks who you believe are a part of the violence, make sure there are solid meals there that they can take home to their families. So there were several things that were built into beginning the launch of Operation Ceasefire to make sure that trust was established and that that could lead to buy-in for people who are genuinely hard to, like, wrap your arms around somehow. How successful was it at stopping gun violence in the city in its prime? Pre-pandemic, between 2012 and really 2019, Operation Ceasefire was one of the prime groups that was credited with driving gun violence down by nearly half, about 46 percent. In 2012, when Ceasefire was launched, 126 people were killed. And then within five years, that number went down to 72. In criminology and when talking about gun violence, there's a lot of hedging and a lot of hesitance to point to any one program. However, Research does point to significant changes brought on by the program. I'm sure that's not the reason for all of the lives that weren't lost in those five years, but I don't think we can undersell that it was an important program. So pretty successful program, it seems. When did things start to take a turn, though, for Operation Ceasefire? So based on the audit that was produced um, at the behest of Mayor Sheng Tao, there are kind of three main things that were brought up. In 2016, there was a shift from the person-based approach. And what I mean by that is going directly to people. And there was a change to place-based prevention. More officers would be in 
a general area or a particular neighborhood that was a hotspot at the moment. It's kind of unclear what the specific impact was, but it does sound like it made it a little bit harder to reach the individuals who were responsible for the majority of the gun violence. And then fast forward to 2020, the pandemic hits and another major part of ceasefire strategy, the in-person interaction was all but snuffed out. And we saw this with a number of violence prevention organizations. You know, you used to be able to find somebody who you were working with, trying to mentor at their job. And a lot of places shut down or people were working from home. It was unsafe. And finally, one of the things that has actually been a point of contention in 2021 the former chief of police, um, Laron Armstrong, started a new unit that was aimed at boosting the city's clearance rate, right? So solving more homicides, which is an important part of the job. However, the audit shows that the creation of that office pulled patrol units from those um, ceasefire hotspots and diluted the presence of officers who knew the kind of ceasefire ethos. There's a certain level of buy-in that those officers had and community insight that was taken from those areas. So those three or four things combined, as we've read in the audit and, and in some of the great coverage that's come out of the audit, it rendered ceasefire pretty much a shell of its original self. Coming up, why we're talking about Operation Ceasefire now and whether bringing it back can help make the city safer. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. 
I know we've been talking about the the audit, and of course, it is sort of the reason why we're even talking about Operation Ceasefire. But also, gun violence, as you've just been talking about, has gotten worse in Oakland over the years. Can you, I guess, just explain why there has been renewed attention to Operation Ceasefire in Oakland? The mayor saw the level of gun violence that was happening and saw that it was continuing unabated. In the statement that she put out just before the city council meeting where the audit was presented, she emphasized that like this did not happen overnight. In public safety, the politics of crime are just something else in Oakland at the moment. And I, you know, I can't read her mind, but to think that it wouldn't be politically advantageous to revive this marquee, well-known, nationally recognized gun violence prevention program, it, it kind of only makes sense to do that, especially if people are looking at you and laying all types of, of crime, property crime, violent crime directly at your feet. What were the key takeaways from the audit? Like, what do they suggest the city do? Sounds like the staffing levels need to rise once again. Coordination with the Office of Violence Prevention that has seen its own changes. Just a greater level of coordination. The strategies are being discussed, how they're going to approach people is being discussed beefing up life coaching and services and supports, which goes back to coordinating with the Office of Violence Prevention and so many of the groups that are in the city that provide these things, but may operate in silos. But what our audit says is that given the facts of what the city was doing, what took place, where we are now, we made a mistake. Ursie Joyner was a longtime Oakland Police Department veteran. He had been with the department since the 90s, kind of seen all of the changes the city went through and eventually became the head of Operation Ceasefire in the city. It was a strategy that not only was being successful in law enforcement, but more importantly, it was accepted by the community. He spoke at the Oakland City Council meeting in mid-January, he said pretty plainly and that the city made a mistake. You know, it kind of allowed Operation Ceasefire to disintegrate, for lack of a better term. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that we made a mistake and doing a course correction. But let's go back to actually being strategic, mindful, and preventative, and not just arresting people, but preventing people from being hurt. How has um, Mayor Shang Tao responded to the results of the audit, Abinay? Just three days after the city council meeting where the audit was presented, she said that Operation Ceasefire would be fully staffed by that Saturday. And that Saturday was the 20th. I mean, and it is important to mention that Shang Tao was not the mayor when Oakland Ceasefire began. She was not even the mayor when this uptick in homicides started. She was quoted as saying that she's taking responsibility for ensuring that staffing goes up, that there are checks on this group and that everything is running smooth. It sounds like she wants to actively make sure that Operation Ceasefire gets fully back up and running as soon as possible because the issue isn't going anywhere. 
I do not know if that has happened because her communications people have yet to respond to my inquiry asking if the staffing levels were full. It's not something I could find online. So it's unclear at this present moment if we're taking Mayor Tao out her word. It's fully staffed and on its way to being operational. I wish I could confirm that, but um, maybe they'll hear this and call me back. Assuming that maybe it is, I don't imagine we'll see results overnight. Abane, how will we know, I guess, if it's working again? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few markers we should keep our eye out for. What everybody wants to see is kind of a immediate drop in shootings, right? Of course, that is the ultimate goal is to stop bloodshed. That is, one, difficult to to measure and attribute to any one group. But with something like Operation Ceasefire, outside of what the police do to gather intelligence, to reach people, to have these you know, ceasefire officers who are familiar with the goal and the ethos of the organization, a big part of it is the relationships that are forged between those high-risk people and violence intervention workers, between faith leaders, right? And those relationships can lead to people putting the guns down, but it takes a while. Something I hear often is like, we are asking people to put their guns down, but what are we putting in their hands in return? It is complicated to try to figure out like, well, when are we going to see changes? It could take a generation. You know what I'm saying? And one thing that statistics can never capture is the 16 year old who may have been ready to shoot somebody and never did. I do hope to see more sort of like yearly and kind of regular reports about how many people are being reached, how many contacts were made, how many people were, you know, funneled into services. Being able to keep track of those things over several years will help us understand the violent crime trends that we that we may see, especially when it comes to homicides. Abene, thank you so much as always. Thank you for having me, E. It was a great time. That was Abene Clayton, a reporter with The Guardian's Guns and Lies in America project. This 40-minute conversation with Abene was cut down and edited by senior editor Alan Montesilio. Maria Esquinka is our producer. She scored this episode and added the tape with extra production support from me. Music courtesy of Audio Network. The rest of our podcast team at KQED includes Jen Chien, our director of podcasts, Katie Springer, our podcast operations manager, Cesar Saldana, our podcast engagement producer, Maha Sanad, our podcast engagement intern, and Holly Kernan, our chief content officer. The Bay is a production of listener-supported KQED in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. 